Welcome to the church family that is lifting lives through living love, inspiring hope, filling with faith, and transforming our world. These recorded messages are made available so that you might have additional opportunities to stay connected with us, and then you might learn and grow in your faith. God bless you as you hear the word today. And now, the message. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall quickly away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his word. Today's story is about a sower, one of the more well-known stories that Jesus told. And I think broadly speaking, there's kind of two schools of interpretation, two ways of understanding and applying it to our lives. Um, and it kind of depends on where you locate yourself in the story. If you identify yourself or ourselves with the sower, as those who are spreading and sowing the word of God's kingdom in the world, then the application is this, that we need to be just as faithful, just as generous with the seed of God's love as the sower in the story is. It's what Dave Ping and Steve Sojourn, they use this phrase that I've always loved, we have to be prodigious flingers of seeds. I always think of like those lawn spreaders, you know, when that comes like just spreading seed everywhere. Because, you know, even on the ground that may look rocky, that may look resistant, because you never know where and when God's seed, God's love, is going to find space and room to grow in someone's life. So you cast it everywhere. 
That's one school of interpretation. But this morning, and I really like that way of understanding the story, but today I'm going to take a more traditional interpretation, which is to understand ourselves not as the sower, but as the soil, as those who are receiving the word of God's kingdom. Um, As I shared with you last week, I read a book over vacation just a handful of weeks ago called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg, and he has a whole chapter dedicated to uh, to this parable. And one of the things he does that I think is really helpful is he says, whenever you read one of Jesus's stories, the parables, it's helpful to kind of think through it in terms of constants and variables. What is constant in the story and what changes? So last week, for instance, we did the story of the wise and foolish builder. Now, what's the constant in that story? The storm. The storm comes, difficulties come into every single person's life. What's the variable? Well, the variable is the foundation the house is built upon, whether it's rock or whether it's sand. And in the difference between those two is Jesus's instruction to us. So now, in today's story, what's the constant? Well, the constant, Ortberg says, is is twofold. It's, It's the seed and the sower. He says the seed is a constant. This is not a story about good seed and bad seed. This seed, the seed of God's word, will take root if it's given just half a chance. And the second constant is the sower. Again, this isn't a story about good sowers and bad sowers. Rather, this sower, the first thing we notice about him is he is generous with his seed. He scatters it everywhere. God's love and God's grace is abundantly available for every person. It is constant in the world and in our lives. So what's the variable? Well, the variable is the soil. And Ortberg suggests that we make a slight uh, word substitution, of uh, uh, actually a letter substitution, that instead of I, we substitute the, the letter U, so that soil becomes soul. He says this is a parable about how our souls respond to and receive the word of God's kingdom. So the first seed falls upon soil that is the pathway When you think about a pathway, especially in the ancient world, how are pathways formed? Well, they're formed by people walking back and forth along the same line or or animals going along a path to find grass or to find water. And over time, as people continue to pass along the same place, the earth gets compacted, it gets hard, it gets dry. And on the pathway, the seed doesn't have a chance It doesn't penetrate. It just bounces off the top. It sits on the surface, and the birds come in and eat it all up, take it away. So the the pathway represents the heart, the soul, that has become hardened. Now, we're not born with hardened hearts. When we're born, our hearts are actually quite soft, open, impressionable, ready to receive love. How does the human heart become hard? Well, in the same way that soil becomes hard when people walk upon it. And the more roughly and callously a heart is treated over time, the harder and harder it gets. But if that's the dynamic that, you know, getting stepped on hardens our heart, 
Well, the, the, there's grace that the opposite is also true. For how do you soften a hardened heart? Well, our hearts are softened by the experience of kindness. Whether we receive kindness or whether we share kindness with someone else, anyone, anytime we practice kindness, our hearts get a little bit softer. So if you want a softer heart, well, then you better sow kindness because even the hardest heart, just a tiny crack is all that's needed for the seed to find purchase and to take root. So that's the hardened soul. The second type of soil is the rocky soil. And whenever I used to think about the rocky soil, I used to think of like soil that had lots of rocks like on the surface of it. But that's not what Jesus says. He says it's, it's, it's the soil that's rocky beneath. There's a thin layer of soil on top of a bunch of rock. I think about my neighborhood, which was a new, like many, you know, new neighborhoods around Zionsville, was kind of built from the ground up a few years ago. And in my neighborhood, pretty much everywhere, it's all clay, all the soil is. And the builder put down a little tiny layer of topsoil and then rolled the sod out on top of the topsoil, right? So when we moved into our home, the lawn looked lush and green and beautiful, right? And I had never purchased a new home before. I didn't know that this was a thing, that you have to water that grass. Because guess what? In the summer, the sun came up and none of that grass had really developed roots to sustain it. And so not just in my lawn, but throughout the whole neighborhood, all that green, beautiful grass, it turned brown, it withered and died. Why? Because it didn't have soil in which it had planted its roots deeply. This is the analogy that Jesus uses. He's describing soil that is too thin, too shallow, and the seed can't develop the, the roots it needs to support faith when trials and difficulties come. It's the shallow soul. Ortberg says this. He says, the desperate need of the soul is not for intelligence, nor talent, nor yet excitement, just depth. The soul is the deepest part of you. It is so deep that there are parts to my soul that I cannot seem to understand or control. This is why writers in the ancient world, not just in the Bible, would often address the soul in third person in a way that they would never do with the will or the mind or the body. There is a depth to your soul that is beyond words and beyond measure. The desperate need of the soul is for depth and yet... We don't live in a world in an age that helps us cultivate depth. We live in a world that is increasingly superficial. Richard Foster once said, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. It's just so easy in today's world to skim across the surface, to skim across the surface of relationships with people. How are you doing? I'm fine. To skim across the surface of news, like just to scroll through the headlines and not really take a deeper dive into knowledge and understanding. Or, you know, when we want to, you know, a lot of people, young people, they're trying to figure out who do they want to date. They push left, push right. You know, they swipe one side or the other. Or, you know, if you, all of us, when we want to hear what the celebrities are doing or even know what our friends are doing, we just scroll through all the posts 
We don't call. We don't converse. We text. We tweet. 160 characters, that is enough. And the problem with living in the shallow end is that the deeper virtues of life, contentment, satisfaction, understanding, belonging, all of those need deeper soil to grow. And God will never be satisfied with a superficial relationship with any of us because he knows us to the depths of our beings. And from the depths of our being, he cries out for us to cultivate the depth, to know his grace, to know his love down to our roots, to know his truth and his hope. God calls us to a deeper life with him and with one another. Then we get to the third kind of soil, which isn't hard. It's soft. The the seed goes in. And it's not shallow. There's roots to grow. And so the problem with this third kind of soil is as the plant grows, there are thorns and weeds that surround it and choke off its life. So it cannot live. It can't bear fruit. And Jesus is specific about what these thorns represent. He says, the thorns represent the cares of this world, worry and anxiety, And the lure of wealth. In other words, the thorny soil represents the cluttered soul. There's an old saying that goes, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because the busy life is is antithetical to the word of God. Last week I shared about the, the external life and the internal life. And how all of us sometimes find that the needs and demands of the external life, keeping our career, our family, our reputation, our home, like maintaining all those things that often it can starve, lead us to neglect the needs of our internal world. And Ortberg wrote about this about a time in his life when he kind of was going through that and he faced his own sinkhole. And when that happened, he reached out to a friend of his named Dallas Willard, who in his own right is a wonderful Christian author and speaker. And he said to Dallas, he said, what do I need to do? And Dallas said, there's one thing you need to do, and that's to eliminate, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And Orberg wrote that down and said, got it. What else do I need to do? He says, I don't think you heard me. Hurry is the enemy of the spiritual life. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. How many of us need that word to seek down deep in us? As Ortberg tried to practice this of eliminating hurry from his life, he he said he eventually found it helpful to distinguish between being busy and being hurried. He said busy sometimes is a fact of modern life. It's a reality for many of us. And busy isn't necessarily bad because sometimes we can be busy doing good things, attending to things that matter, making a difference in the world. Busy can be okay. He says, hurry is the inward condition that is driven by its twin monster sister of worry. Hurry is when we locate all of our life, our meaning and worth in externals. And we're so frantically caught up in the keeping those plates spinning, maintaining that internal life, it keeps us, or external life, that it keeps us distracted from paying attention to the things that most deeply matter. He said that a lot of us, if we're really honest, 
probably have an unconscious fear that if we're not busy, we don't really matter. And so we stay busy. We stay cluttered. But we're not whole. God wants us to clear away the clutter so that we can be whole once again. And that leads to the fourth kind of soil, which is finally the good dirt. I mean, this is the dirt that is soft. This is the dirt that is deep. This is the dirt that is, that is clear. There's plenty of space in this soil for God's word to grow and multiply, and it produces a harvest that Jesus says is 30 times, 60 times, even 100 times what was sown. This is the kind of soil that God is looking for in our hearts and in our lives. And it's the kind of soil that I assume all of us want to be. So how do we get to the good dirt, right? First, I think we have to be honest and accountable. We need to be honest with God about what kind of soil we currently are. Is there a place in your heart or in your life where you are hard, where you find yourself resistant to God's word or to God's spirit? When was the last time you kind of sank deeply into Christ's presence and really abided with him? How hurried is your life? Do the worries of this world, does the, the constant stress of what, maintaining wealth, does that, does that keep you distracted? We have to be honest with God. Where are we? Is your word growing in our, is my, in our lives? Is, are our hearts the kind of places where you have free reign? And being honest with God is kind of the first step of just asking God, help us become the kind of soil you want us to be. And then from that honesty and accountability, then we begin to cultivate healthy spiritual habits. Um, I mentioned earlier Richard Foster uh, and his, his quote about uh, superficiality. In his amazing book, Celebration of Discipline, he uses the analogy of a farmer. He says, a farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, but then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. They put us where God can work within us and transform us. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. Now, what does he mean when he says the disciplines? He uses a capital D. Well, I encourage you, if you want to pick up his book and read through, he suggests a lot of spiritual disciplines, but let me today just suggest three, each relating to the type of soil we've talked about. If you want a softer heart, practice the spiritual discipline of kindness, both to friend and to enemy. Cultivate a softer heart towards God and to others. If you want to cultivate a deeper heart, practice stillness being still with God in prayer and meditation. And if you want an uncluttered heart, try the practice, the spiritual practice of surrender, of taking every anxiety, every worry, everything in your life and just surrendering it unto God. And when you do that, God produces the growth. It's God who produces the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, Peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. God produces that. It's, we don't produce those things in ourselves. But we put ourselves in the right place through these practices. We make our heart into the right kind of soil where God can do something with us and in us. And then the third thing we do is we pay attention to our communal life. If I had any critique of Ortberg's interpretation, which I've relied heavily upon, uh, it spoke to me in so many different ways. The one critique I have is, is when you convert soil to soul, it becomes very easy to think of the soil as individuals. This person is rocky. This person is shallow. This person, you know, like one, each person could be something different. But Jesus most often was speaking to communities and groups of people. He, 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 he was addressing the, the, you know, the Jewish nation sometimes. Sometimes he was speaking to the community of the disciples. Sometimes he was speaking to the church that was yet to be. He cares deeply about our communal life together, how we live with and treat one another. And so I think it's just as appropriate to think of the soil, not just as an individual person, but as a group of people who are all receiving, responding to God's word in our midst. So let me ask you, if you're part of a small group, in that small group, are you superficial? Are you just skimming across the service, or are you creating space where you can ask the age-old Wesleyan question, how is it with your soul? Are you able to share that with one another? In your family, how hurried is your family life? Are you connecting with each other as you are busy in the day-to-day -day activities you face? Or if there's hardness and resistance in a relationship within your family, how do you practice kindness in order to keep a soft heart to one another, to break down those walls of resistance in your family? And in our church, you know, with all the challenges that we're facing as a denomination, as a congregation, with all those challenges that we're facing, how do we continue to practice prayer, stillness, surrender, as a way of inviting God's word to take root in us and to produce in us collectively the harvest of righteousness that he's looking for? And on that last subject of how do we cultivate this as a whole community of faith, I want to invite Kim to join me. We're going to have a little conversation around this. And um, if this is your first time to be with us, this is something we do from time to time, where we invite another associate pastor to, you know, reflect on the message together with me. And we, we talk midweek. And I can tell you, Kim has a different perspective on this parable than I do because she reads it as someone who likes to garden. I hate gardening. Like, I don't mind doing the lawn, trimming and weeding and that kind of stuff, but I don't like getting my hands in the dirt. <laughs> and Kim does. So the first thing she said to me was like, oh, I love dirt. <laughs> so I take it away, Kim. <laughs> yeah, I can really relate to this parable um, because you do have to have good soil. Um, you got to start there. And, you know, I'm... I'm airing my dirty laundry. So this is part of my yard and this is leftover from last spring. Um, but you know, I've got cow manure and I have some regular dirt. I don't even know what that is in the middle. Um, and then I have some organic dirt, whatever that is. But, uh, 
I, I was t sharing with David, like in Indiana, there are three kinds of soil, sand, clay, and loam. And you want loam, but most of us don't have that, right? You were saying your yard is Clay. Mostly clay, yeah. My yard's mostly clay, and clay's not horrible. Um, it has a lot of nutrients, um, but it also holds a lot of water. So in the springtime, that's why you walk out and everything looks cracked up because it's it's held that water. It's still cold in the springtime. It holds so much water that oftentimes it drowns or rots the roots of plants. So that's your dead grass, um, and roots cannot, you know find their way through that hard soil. It's got a lot of nutrients, but you've got to add some stuff to the clay. And so when I'm digging and adding, you know, I'm always uh, really stoked when I see worms because worms are a good sign that uh, I've got some good dirt in there, you know, and the worms are helping me make more good dirt. They're making trails and for water and air and nutrients to go through and, you know, Another favor that they're doing for us is leaving behind some organic matter so that um, we have some, you know, more fertile soil. Some so, organic matter. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's code for something. Yeah. Uh, the Castings. Only time, uh, when I see worms, I know in my neighborhood, like, I, the place, I never see worms in the dirt. I always see them like after. Because you don't dig in the dirt. Because I don't dig in there. I see them after it rains and they make that fateful trek across the sidewalk and only some of them get across. Like that's, you know. Um, anyways, I was thinking about this. When Kim said that, like, when I see worms, I know I got good dirt. I found myself thinking, huh, because Jesus didn't talk about the wormy soil, right? Like, <laughs> and I thought, well, and then I went there, like, this is where my mind, I started, like, thinking of, like, heartworms. I was like, nope, that's not a good image uh, for the congregation. Like, we want heartworms. No, but, but I did think of, I like how you said, worms break things down. And I do think that that's a key feature of good soil, is that it's been broken down. Like, um... You know, you think about Jesus and the people that he was connected to, that he attracted to. He, he was not attracted to the, the, the Pharisees, you know, who, who, were, who were so religious and had everything together, but they weren't broken down at all. The people Jesus was connected to were the people who were, you know, who were broken down, who were outcasts or, you know, rejected or maybe had fallen flat on their faces or been, you know, kicked out of the community of faith and and. And in their lives, I think Jesus saw the quality of humility that he was looking for. That once, you know, there was that place that had been broken down, there was a, a humbleness present, then they could receive grace in order for their hearts to be transformed. So I found myself thinking, yeah, we all need humility. And that means sometimes falling flat on our faces, yeah. you know. And, and all those people were even if they were kicked out of one community, were coming to Jesus for community and relationship. And I don't think that we can truly experience humility outside of community. Like we need each other in order to experience humility and forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this and we were talking about, you know, failure in and of itself isn't, doesn't produce the fruit, you know, the soil that God's wanting. It's, it's, it's failure with the experience of grace, and that requires, you know, a community around us. It does. I mean, I think it's very redemptive to receive grace in community. Like, a, there's nothing redemptive about failing alone, right? What yeah. do you do with that? You just feel worse. Yeah, that's, that's the sentence when you said that. I thought, that's it. Like, go, I, I created a slide. 
pulling out that sentence, which I should have put like cited you, Kim King, uh-huh. underneath that. But like to me, like that's so powerful. There's nothing redemptive about failing by ourselves. Because then failures either like completely destroys us or stings us, or or for me, like I tend to hide those failures from others. Like, you know, I don't want people to see the failure, but there's nothing redemptive there. It's not until I'm in relationship with someone where I can be honest about those failures and bring them out. And then I can experience grace and that experience of being lifted up. Like that's where redemption occurs. Yeah. And when you talk about going deep, right, you can't do that if you're hiding because you failed by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of a quote by Reggie Joyner uh, that says, you can only truly receive forgiveness from someone who knows you. Because if you don't know someone and they say, oh, you're forgiven. Yeah. Like, it's kind of empty empathy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's surface to go back to. It's thin. Yeah. Versus if someone knows you mm-hmm. and knows who you are and what you've done and, and where you've fallen short and maybe even been hurt, but and then they forgive you. It, it's an entirely different experience. It, 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 that's grace. Yeah. When you, and that grace, I think, um, provides some safety for me to come to you and say, hey, Dave, like, I really messed up. You know, and for us to have some conversation about that and for you to say, you know, we all mess up. It's fine. Let's start over. Yeah. And once you've received that, then you can offer it to mm-hmm. others, too. And you can only do that with other people. You can only do that in community. Yeah. So uh, to go back to those cultivate things, those spiritual disciplines I was talking about earlier, that, you know, for a softer heart, practice kindness, deeper practice stillness, uncluttered, practice surrender. If you want a wormy heart, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but if you want a grace-filled heart, I think it does require the practice of forgiveness and humility. And I think when I say practice forgiveness, it's, I think sometimes we say, oh, I can, I can forgive others. And that's one experience to be on the side of letting go of hurt and pain and forgiving others. But for me, that's actually an easier thing than receiving forgiveness. Because receiving forgiveness requires me to be real with you about what I've done, to confess and be honest. Like that that's harder work. Like Yeah. Yeah. It's good work though. Like good dirt. (laughs) Uh, So when we think about being community, I, I like, uh, you know, the thing is, I, I think the temptation, I think sometimes is for us to think, well, I'm going to work on my own heart. I'm going to unclutter my own heart. I'm going to, but this is work we're meant to do together. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's scary, but if we can do it together, if we can create safety and do it together, there's so much that can happen. So yeah. much God wants for us happens in that space. Yeah. Yeah. So any last words before we wrap up the service? Yeah, I, I would just encourage all of us to take a chance on going deep. You know, God wants you to go deeper with God, with Christ. We need to go deeper with each other. So let's create a community where we feel safe enough to take a chance on going deep. So uh, I'm going to offer a prayer in a second, uh, and then we're going to sing our closing song. And our closing hymn we picked this morning is, I said there were two ways of interpreting the parable, either as, either as sower as a, or as soil. It's interesting, this hymn is entitled, You Are the Seed. And so I guess that's the third way of thinking about it, that, that we are the soil, we are the sower, but we're also the seed that God sends out, scatters into the world, 
that we might uh, plant his love in the hearts of others. So as I close this in prayer, and then I'm going to invite us to stand and uh, sing this song together. Let's pray. Oh God, you know the soil of all our hearts. And all of us are mixed dirt. In some places hard, in some places shallow, in some places cluttered. But we ask for your spirit to work in our lives through the gift of community, through the gift of grace. Continue to till and turn over what is hard or cluttered or broken in order to make us good soil, good dirt, ready to receive your grace, willing to be transformed by it. This we pray in the name of your Son, Christ Jesus, for whom we give our deepest thanks. Amen.